0: Hi, my name is Sanu Thomas-George and I'm on The Chopping Block at visceralchange.org. Listen to what we do. I don't have
1: anything to say. No, wait, really?
0: wait, I'm nervous.
1: Yeah. That's an easy listening station. i there right now. <laughs> You're listening to The Chopping Block. You're listening to The Chopping Block. You're listening to The Chopping Block <laughs> on the Visceral Change Podcast. Okay. Hey, how's everybody doing? We are here back with another episode of The Chopping Block and today we have the one and only. Sindhu Thomas George. Sindhu how are you doing?
0: Good how are you?
1: I'm doing well of course no I'm I'm so happy that we were able to get this scheduled and make it happen. Really looking forward to our discussion. Um, There's a lot of DEI trainers and facilitators and consultants and coaches out there and uh, I think we need to begin sharing more space with another one another and not just you know operating in separate entities and so this is exciting to kind of have this discussion and and share some thoughts
0: um, (laughs)
1: So Sindhu, you are the founder and principal trainer of Shakti Diversity Training, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're also a tenured professor at, uh, of communication studies specifically, yeah. right? At uh, yes. the College of Lake County. Yeah. You do a lot. You carry a lot with you. <laughs> it's yeah. super exciting. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested though, because, you know, your, your educational background, right, is in communications.
0: Yeah. Intercultural uh, communication is what I specialized in
1: intercultural communications is what you specialize in Mm -hmm. so why this work how do you how do you stumble upon dei
0: yeah so there's a lot of um i would say overlap and um you know connection with intercultural communication and dei right intercultural communication uh looks at how our cultures influences communication Um, i studied it from a critical race perspective and so a lot of dei practitioners like yourself Uh, you know, have a critical race approach. And so from a really young age, I was like 23, uh, when I had my first gig and it was under my mentor who I think he was like, Oh, I can't do this. And he sent me, you know, to this nonprofit. And I started realizing that I can really make an impact because people they need to, they they have to understand how to uh, communicate effectively, right, across cultures and culture doesn't just mean ethnicity or race, right. um, gender, age, you know, generation, all of these different elements of cultural identities. Um, and I realized that it was a huge need and, um, you know, I just really worked hard. I knew what I wanted to do from the first year of graduate school and, um, you know, I, I did it a little bit and then I uh, also was in training uh, the program that I went to grad school in, Uh, they did uh, pedagogy, pet training with pedagogy. So I actually, uh, you know, shattered a professor for a semester, taught my own classes before I even graduated. And so by the time I graduated, I was uh, really kind of uh, sought out after to teach at the university as an adjunct or community colleges. And so I kind of simultaneously started my teaching career and my uh, consulting career, you know, at the age of like 25.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) That's huge. (laughs) You talked about uh, sort of that there is a there is a connection or some relationship between the intercultural communication and DEI. Tell me a little bit more about that. Um.
0: Well, I kind of uh, talked a little bit about the intersection, the need to understand how to communicate effectively. So, uh, you know, DEI work, I think I see it as kind of two umbrellas. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the DEI traditional, you're looking at power dynamics, inclusion, equity, inequalities. Uh, and then, you know, implicit bias. And then the inter- intercultural competency is equipping people to be interculturally competent communicators, right? right. Understanding uh, cult- what is culture, what does that mean, understanding uh, verbal and nonverbal dimensions of culture and communication. And so there are two different, you know, aspects. I bring them together. Yes. And I think there's kind of two sides in the DI world where they don't always marry. And now I'm seeing many more. Ah uh, interculturalists do di work. you know I, I've, I've' explored a few on uh, Instagram. Both of them are South Asian, and I wrote them. I was like, wow, you know, and they're they're huge profile people. And so it's pretty cool to see other people doing this work.
1: yeah, and that's that's amazing. You know, when I hear, maybe not when I hear intercultural communication, but I'm sure it's appropriate. But when I hear communications and dei, you know I think about my mind goes to uh, you know, African American vernacular, for example, um, yeah. other forms of language and dialects that really speak to a, a particular community. I mean, have you? Uh,
0: yeah, that's part yeah. of it, right? Okay. That's part
1: of verbal
0: communication. Mm-hmm. Um, so AAVE is part of that code switching, embracing linguistic diversity mm-hmm. uh, is part of that. Also, understanding dimensions like individualism and collectivism, and, you know, how if you're from an, in collectivist culture and you're in the United States and you're working in an individualistic society and US business is highly individualistic, mm. um, that really influences the way that you Uh, show up right the way that you experience a workplace and there can be a lot of disconnects and conflict right and so part of what I do with developing intercultural competency is helping people to work together more harmoniously and also helping um, you know the tasks to get done more effectively because a lot of times you know the conflict and when tasks don't get done it's in the communication breakdown right so that's Uh, kind of what I do there Uh, but I I always look at power um, as an underlying you know power is really important to acknowledge, right? Power sure. dynamics. So, but regardless if I'm talking about implicit bias or if I'm talking about nonverbal communication, I always think about power. Uh, you know, with language, you look at linguistic supremacy. A lot of Ooh. times people will say AAVE is unintelligent or AAVE people are, uh, you know, they're not very smart, but AAVE is a rule governed language, uh, you know, that you can be tied back to African languages, right? right. So it's not just something and, and we have to be able to understand that when we is in american society say Sherard, you can't code switch that's unprofessional well then we're being very uh, ignorant and ethnocentric mm-hmm. uh, and we're really centering whiteness you know and, and and that's something that i work you know against and i try to disrupt in the workplace
1: yeah for sure and that's you know as you were talking you know you you're highlighting so many different ways that we na- are naturally inclined to uh, buy into that Eurocentric philosophy. You know, i remember you know James Baldwin. One of his quotes: "There's no such thing as a black professional. It's just being yeah. as white as you can be." Right? And yeah. so it's this idea of whiteness that is at the center that we all are trying to strive for in one way or the other, consciously or unconsciously. So it's when yeah. we talk about it in language, it's really interesting. Yeah,
0: it's, and uh, any white adjacency is a problem, right? And mm-hmm. you know, you're in higher education. You're your doctor. You're getting your Uh, JD, you know, all your credentials and, you know, higher education is very elitist and, you know, there is a lot of white adjacency, even with people of color that are working in higher education so that they can uh, be perceived as, you know, that they fit in and that they can move up. And I I think that's a really big problem.
1: Yeah, there's no question about it. And that is what people like you and the wonderful work that you do specifically is hoping to address and, and you're well on your way. So let's talk a little bit more about you than Sindhu, the person. Uh, you identify as a woman of color, uh, second second uh, generation, right? Asian, remember, yeah. Asian. Yeah, 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 yeah. South
0: Asian, yeah.
1: South Asian, yeah, yeah. Um, and you're the daughter of immigrants as well. Yeah. 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 Um, how How has that confluence of identities and experiences shaped you to be who you are today?
0: Yeah. So, you know, when I grew up, I was, my parents immigrated here in the early seventies, right after the civil rights movement. And we, I was raised in all white community out like a 50 minutes outside of Chicago. And it was you know, I'm, I was raised in the early eighties. Right. I'm in my forties. And uh, it was a really different suburb of Chicago than it is now. Right. Uh, and because we were the only family of color, we were, we were the only uh, people of color that were also immigrants, there were a few European immigrants, you know, families. Uh, I experienced a lot of racism, you know, literally from the age of five. <laughs>
1: sure. Sure. Uh, you know,
0: I, I was called Sindhu the Hindu. My dad happened to own a convenience store. Uh, that was the year that the Simpsons came out and the Simpsons had mm-hmm. the character of a poo. So, you know, my family kind of fit into these media negative perceptions of, or just the, the, the stereotypes. Um, you know, and I, I grew up a, a long part of my life, you know, from childhood and even early adulthood, feeling ashamed of who I was. I was very much white adjacent. I did things like wear color contacts. All of my friends were white. Um, I had some, uh, you know, access to Indian people because of my community. Uh, but I was embarrassed of them, to be honest with you. Mm. And I changed my name to Cindy when I was in sixth grade. Uh, because the, uh, you know, the bullying was so bad. And my best friend was like, let's just, you know, you with you to a Y, let's just do that. So I went into sixth grade and I still had people from my elementary school that were there. So they knew I wasn't Cindy, but the new people thought I was Cindy. So there was this confusion. Um, But, you know, eventually teachers and everyone called me Cindy, but I still got made fun of, right? People knew that my real name wasn't Cindy. And I was kind of living under this like veil of no, I'm Cindy. And I, it was just this like the alter ego, And you know, it wasn't until I was older, I was in graduate school studying whiteness theory, reading Franz Fanon, that I was like, "Holy cow, what am I doing?" Uh, And I was in San Francisco, and so I was in a diverse context for the first time in my life, and I was able to see that there's nothing wrong with being different. Right? Different isn't deficient. Um, So it was was my education that really helped me embrace that. Um, But I've always viewed the world through race, right? And so I've always been very passionate about disrupting racism and Uh, you know, just racial equality and racial equity because of that. Um, And so my identity as an Indian person and an immigrant has really been, you know, through those experiences, unfortunately, racism continued, sexism continued, ageism existed when I started in higher education. And so I I just, I don't wanna go through the whole, all my experiences, but I'll just give you one example. When I first started teaching in higher education, I would park in the faculty parking lot you know, at San Francisco State University and City College of San Francisco. And, um, you know, I didn't look like I was 25 years old. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it was a long time ago. And I looked probably like a student. And so I would always get, you know, kind of hassle, like, um, who are you? You can't park here. And I would, I would show my tag. Yes, I'm a faculty member. And at the end of the semester, a white, you know, campus police officer was just like, I don't believe you. Walk me. I want to walk you to the campus police. And so like, you walk Yeah, he made me with him and to prove my identity, to look me up. And I was like, you took me through all these hoops, you know, because I was a young Indian woman of color and in 19 or in 2003, there wasn't a lot of Indian women of color that were young that were teaching there. Right. So you know, things like that, you know, when I first started a lot of, I do all the training, not all, I do a lot of the training and development around diversity and inclusion at my college. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that for 13 years. And I have a white colleague, you know, and I'm at a community college. I'm very proud uh, to teach at this college and we are uh, accessible and affordable. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's really kind of like my jam as an inclusion <laughs> person. That's right. um, and, but we have a lot of people who, who have doctorates, right? And because, you know, we're a very well paid, high paying college. Uh, we have lots of resources. And so a lot of people trying to get in there. And, you know, there's a woman who has her doctorate and she always kind of threw that in your face, kind of like, I have my doctorate, you don't. And, you know, I was asked to do a lot of professional development and she just would not have it. And so she would complain about me. She would write people emails. Why are you asking her? I'm this. I have my doctorate. She would question me. And, you know, the white woman in my life, professionally, I've experienced a lot of what we call now Karens. Mm-hmm. I wish I had that terminology that have kind of really just uh, made me question myself, you know, I've done lots of violence, toxic workplace culture. Um, and so that's a product of of sexism and ageism and racism mm-hmm. and even in my own family, you know, my identity is really shaped because I'm the da- only daughter of Indian immigrants and, um, you know, you're supposed to be a traditional dutiful mm-hmm. Uh, you know, trip tri- person, and you're not supposed to be loud and spunky like who I am. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I don't believe that you should stand behind your husband. I believe that you should be next to your husband and equals. And even my parents, they just are traditional. They're not bad people. But sure. um, so I've experienced a lot of, I would say, resistance to just my natural identity. And um, so I guess my answer would be, yeah, my identity has shaped a lot of who I am. And I've gone through uh, some It you know, internal struggles, just accepting myself. Um, and that's kind of, uh, I bring that to the, to the work that I do, you know, the racism that I've experienced, uh, you know, and, and the sexism and the ageism, it's something that I can bring into my inclusion workshops. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So
1: you know, your last statement there reminds me of an old, uh, it's an old 50 cent quote, and I can't remember exactly how it goes. I'm going to butcher it, but, uh, You know, basically what he's trying to, what he's saying in short is that, you know, the best gift you can offer to the world is for you to be yourself, your your uniqueness. I mean, because nobody else can be that. And it's really, as soon as we're able to identify what that is, what that means for us, and channel that, that we're able to really carve out some, some true space. And, uh, you know, as someone who also comes from higher education, you know, you talked a little bit about the elitism and I just want to reaffirm that, you know, that is, that's real. I mean. You sit on some of these search committees and, well, this person's from this, you know, decent institution, but this one's from a top tier research one, so we should consider them. And yeah. when that, that doesn't mean as much as we think it means. I mean, take it from no. me, and you know, this as well. So.
0: <laughs> you <laughs> can have now. a, you know, a Harvard PhD and, you know, graduate first in your class, and that doesn't mean you have a lot up there.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, right, that's really, right,
0: right. And it doesn't mean that you're a good teacher, actually. Yeah, you know? Right, right, right. it's yeah so I really quickly to get through that i think that like you know the elitism is something that i now i'm kind of like i i own it yes i uh, i teach at a community college i'm proud of that i you know but sometimes you know when you're in spaces or you're in conferences people like oh where is that you know and you know i think before at least 10 years ago i would be more hesitant to say it's a community college because the name doesn't align with a community college but mm-hmm. now I'm, you know, up front and I'm like, this is, this is my jam. This is who I of am. Course. Affordable, accessible, helping students like me, who are first generation college students, yes. you know, re- realize their dreams, unlocking yes. potentials. It's, it's the best job that you could ever have without all of the, you know, crazy bureaucratic that's, political that's crap. Right. That's right. <laughs> so, that's right. Yeah.
1: And it's a true testament to someone's passion for that work. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because you don't have everything you just mentioned and it's, you're you're either, it's almost like, uh you know you're either if you're driven by this then you'd be willing to do it in this particular field if you're not driven by it then uh it shows up by the decisions you make in terms of where you want to work and and so there should be a lot of pride and passion behind community colleges and i think that's something we need to reclaim i'd love to revisit that maybe as we get to the tail end of this particular interview so let's 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 talk about then your work at uh, at lake county um i want to talk a little bit about the the diversity and equity infusion and project. And this is yeah. what you said you sort of co-founded uh, yeah. with the white gentleman. Uh,
0: no, I was uh, with the white woman.
1: White woman. Okay. Yeah. And she
0: retired uh, after two years.
1: though. So. She retired after two years. And yeah. there's, you do work with a white gentleman right now?
0: I don't. Uh, you, you don't. Play. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm,
1: okay. I'm, <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> well, yeah. So that you want to, you want to hear a little bit about it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Tell us that. also how long it's been around and, and sort of what yeah. its purpose is all that.
0: So uh, it has been around for ten years, uh, yeah. and I co-founded it while I was chairing the diversity commission because our college uh, really was trying to create infrastructure, right, it, mm-hmm. for diversity and inclusion. And I I co-chaired it with a white woman who was awesome, you know, social justice kind of like hippie in the '60s. Um, I learned a lot from her in terms of like uh, you know navigating the organization, uh, and then she left, and then I asked my colleague who's a white man who's also an interculturalist, brilliant interculturalist to work with me. And so we worked together for several years. Um, and so now mm. 10 years later, I work on my own. Okay. Um, that gentleman left because uh, you know, things change. Technology mm. is part of now education and he was not as willing to evolve and mm. it was becoming too much for him. And uh, really I, was, I created a uh, course that I just am gonna be teaching in three weeks to faculty, it's called Black and Brilliant. Uh, developing consciously inclusive faculty and it's the whole point of the course is to create inclusion for african-american students and to help uh, increase academic achievement with for the black students in our college and so it just became this beast it was supposed to be a three hour training and now it's a 15-week course and you know a lot of uh, it it had to be a lot of videotaping because a lot of black faculty and staff are their voices are shared their experiences are shared students and so i spent the last year uh, working on that and i'm really happy that <laughs> it's over because it was a really hard it was a challenging thing I've ever done in my career because <laughs> um, uh, you know I was I, I I am passionate about you know African-American achievement I know a lot about anti-blackness but I was not in that space you know so I had to read the John Luke's or uh, uh, the mm-hmm. Luke Woods and the Sean Harper's and mm-hmm. you know all of these awesome people and so it, it took a while but so that's kind of what I do. I, I train faculty and staff at the college around diversity, equity, inclusion, mm-hmm. so that we can better serve the increasingly diverse population at our college. And it's kind of, you know, really much uh, bridges what I do as a consultant. Mm-hmm. And so I similarly, I do that in the workplace. And I work with corporations to nonprofits to help cultivate a environment of inclusion, equity, anti-racism, and intercultural competency. So kind of all ties my my work at the college it connects with my work at Shakti
1: and so uh how does with the college how is that how has it been received uh in your opinion
0: good Um, I mean they they keep they let me still do it
1: I know Uh I know how it is with diversity sometimes you'll have people who are are not a fan of it so therefore they're they're trying to find new and creative ways to shut it down and then Mm -hmm. sometimes you have people that are really on board
0: so, yeah, I mean, I've definitely received some hate email. I've received things like, I don't believe in race, stop talking about it. You know, kind of when Trayvon Martin was murdered, that was a uh, interesting time to do what I was doing because people were like, Sinju, where's your statement? And I'm like, I'm a faculty member. Where's the statement from our president? You know? mm. And so I had to represent a lot of, you know, the diversity. and uh, But I it was good experience and I was yeah. happy to do it because I believe in it, you know, and so... I wouldn't say i would definitely think you're always going to get people who are haters haters are always going to hate uh but you had to expect that and you know even even um i was doing a training um helping to disrupt anti-blackness in a specific workplace just yesterday or two days ago mm-hmm. i know it received so well and there was one person you always have that one person uh. and i was talking about microaggressions in the workplace you know and so you know as someone who talks about anti-blackness so that I can encourage people to engage in cross-racial allyship. That's kind of my into talking about disrupting anti-Blackness. I was giving examples, you know, and there is a Black employee who was then reiterating what I was saying, and I pissed this woman off, and she's like, oh, her face is all red, and she's like, I just don't, now, now I have to be, you made me scared. Like, I love to compliment people's hair, and now because of you, I can't. Mm. And by the, and then she just kind of like ripped me and I was like yeah sorry this isn't me you want you can California just passed a, a law against discriminating against hair like this isn't my this is the real thing these are
1: like, facts right these are the legal statutes <laughs>
0: yeah you're gonna get haters and, and and as a teacher you know you learn that you get evaluated every semester I would get like 25 amazing review and then one person would be like she's the worst person in the world and you know say and you just kind of it, it's it's always um. One of my deans told me early on is that, you know, if you please everyone, that means that maybe you're not doing a good job. Right. Mm-hmm. You always want to have one or two people because that means mm-hmm. you're riling things up.
1: So. That's right. Especially in this work. You know what I mean? And I don't know if you get this, but um, I get this sometimes um, uh, as a consultant where um, sometimes the organizations we work for want to do the work of mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion. Uh, but they want to do it their way, which requires mm-hmm. the least amount of vulnerability and, and honesty. And uh, it just can't be done that way. No. It can't be I done that way.
0: Done. There, there are people who will say, okay, I won't talk about race. <laughs> but I don't think you should do that. No, you means, can't.
1: Yeah, right.
0: A disservice.
1: Right, you are. And, and if you really want to get to the heart of maybe what's going on or have these discussions, we need to, we need to have them. You know, mm-hmm. and so And if you're having them, then uh, chances are you're gonna get some of the pushback you're talking about. Um, yeah. so, so for sure. Yeah. But one thing about late co- uh, Lake County that I at least, at least I came across, so the assertion I'm making here, is that mm-hmm. the, the college prides itself on this diversity. Oh yeah. Um, the now. research- Now. now. <laughs> now.
0: <laughs> we, we have a new president, so the last two years were like an amazing, I, I love working at this place because it's in alignment with who I am.
1: That's, that's, and that's, there's really no better feeling than that, you know, because then we can negotiate some other stuff. Uh, You know, uh, one thing they pride themselves on is that it seems to be more diverse than sort of the Illinois State Community College system, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So my research shows that uh, there's a 43% collective minority enrollment, which Mm -hmm. is exciting uh, compared, compared to the rest of the state. However, the majority of the college is still fifty seven percent white. Yeah, And so my question to you, Sindhu, is which statistic, right? that forty three percent minority enrollment, or that fifty seven percent white, in your opinion, has a bigger impact on the work you do on campus?
0: That's hard to answer. Um, I think that for students, it's definitely the forty three percent minoritized, right? Because mm-hmm. all of the programming, the way that i teach my course i'm thinking about culturally responsive pedagogy uh, how can i better serve the increasingly diverse student. but it for faculty i think it's uh, you know helping the white dominant you know identities understand you can't just do things uh, you know business as usual especially for the faculty members who've been there for a while because now look at our our demographics has changed and when things change we need to change right mm-hmm. and so I feel like student wise, uh, it's more towards the minoritized populations, but then the work that I do with faculty and staff is really working with white individuals and helping them uh, to be more inclusive and equity-minded and anti-racist, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, we we have, um. I would say in the lab, I mean, the college looks, I've been at my college since 2008, this one, um, and it, it looks really different. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. we have a lot of Latinx representation, a huge increase in the last ten years. Um, we have a growing African American community, and we're in a really interesting. Lake County is very rich and very white on one side, mm-hmm. and then North Chicago is not. Right? It's mm. uh, you know low income, uh, some middle class, but people of color, uh, primarily Black and Latinx communities. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and that's uh, that's always interesting. The ways in which the community. Uh, impacts you know we could talk about the school demographics but the way the community impacts not just the the uh, the work but also just your lifestyle I mean do you find yourself uh, in more spaces of comfort than not in a majority white space or has that been a little bit of a challenge individually
0: well you know if you look at faculty member we're like 70% white or like 80 you know so it's yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When I'm walking in the hallways, I feel you know included. I feel like this is my place. but sure. if you're just in faculty like the week before the students come back and we're all you know faculty only, it's it's a very predominantly white space. Yeah. Um, because I grew up in predominantly white spaces, it's something that i I am used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would definitely say that I notice it. i I connect with people of color. you know i I have an affinity towards people of color because they get my experiences. so right, yeah right right, yeah, yeah. and uh, and we have a woman of color ERG that I helped to start a couple of years ago and that helps a lot I mean it it oh, makes it makes a sense of belonging real you know and yeah and helps to create it for other people so
1: yeah well those employee resource groups without them um, you know sometimes labeled as affinity groups they go a long way yeah. um, I've instituted a couple myself over time and yeah I've seen a lot of uh, benefit from it. I've given it praise when I first was introduced to. So, so that can be super beneficial. I have to imagine, at a place like Lake County. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to Shakti. Uh, the title kind of gives it away. Uh, diversity training. But why don't you go ahead and tell us sort of the origins of the consultancy? Um, give us a little bit about how it came to be and and why this name in particular.
0: Yeah. So, um, like I said, in graduate school, I was working with nonprofits, uh, even when I was first adjuncting. And so I always knew, I told my dad when I was 23, I was like, dad, I know what I want to do in my life. I'm going to be a professor at a diversity consultant. And he's like, Sindhu, you have to be at least 30. Like no one's going to hire you for either of those. right?" And in a, in a, in a really big way, he was right. I was Hmm. doing, I was a professor for sure, you know, as an adjunct. And by the time I was 20 eight I was a, a full-time at this community college sure, uh, sure. professor but he was right with consulting right no one is going to really take you seriously and so I was doing it here and there I moved to Chicago for my job and then I had a baby and so that kind of took a break right the consultants mm-hmm. I started it when I was in California 25 24 um, and then after Jackson my oldest son was born you know I'm just very entrepreneurial my dad is an immigrant he's entrepreneurial he built his own businesses and so I just kind of always was had that bug in me um, and so I started to do started to uh, inquire about what do I need to do I created a website I just mm-hmm. took all the the, the motions um, and I named it and, and you know now it's it's great. I have lots of business I have a lot of experience mm-hmm. um, and I love what I do but it, it was not a seamless you know there was many bumps in the road there were many years where I was just like I'm doing all this work and nothing is happening. But again, this is what I wanted to do from a young age, so I just sure. kept the course, right? So sure. um, I believed in what I did, and I I didn't really have any mentors. I just kind of looked at other people's careers and and did it, and somehow <laughs> it worked out. Um, I named it Shakti because Shakti in my native language of Malayalam, and I originate from Kerala, India. So we're called okay. Malayalis, okay. and our language is Malayalam. It means strength and courage, and I realized early on that you need to have strength and courage and especially me, I was talking about like white privilege, you know, before white privilege was a thing, you know, in, in yeah. classrooms and business contexts and, and racism. And so you really need to have strength and courage to do that, to look in the mirror, to, to get to know who you are, to see your blind spots and also to have these conversations. And so, um, that's a little bit about how the name came in and yeah. So.
1: And it it's, I and I asked that particular one about the name because you know I know how important sort of that name brand is, you know, mm-hmm. and and you know uh, you don't want to go somewhere where you know you feel like you have to backtrack a couple years in because it doesn't work. And so when yeah. you're able to find one that really speaks to what you want to do, that that goes a long way, and there's usually a good story behind it. So you didn't yeah. you didn't fail. <laughs>
0: and my my logo was made by like an 18 year old college student. <laughs>
1: Oh, wow. <laughs>
0: and I kept it. I love it. I like, I found it. Oh, yeah, it's great. And I was like, great. So I, I thought about maybe should I hire someone? I'm like, no, this is a, this is part of me.
1: <laughs> it's perfect. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. uh, you talked earlier about sort of how the consultancy and your work in the colleges sort of went hand in hand or at least came up yeah. relatively similarly or at the same time. But I do have to imagine that you, you keep the work separate. So uh, yeah. how, how do you do that?
0: yeah uh two separate computers you know like not (laughs) not double dipping never printing anything at the college because you can get in a lot of trouble and so I was really I was actually scared to let anyone know even though at my interview I told them I do diversity consultant Mm -hmm. consulting and um but I was really nervous to let anyone know I wouldn't even like add people on LinkedIn if people would ask me I would just ignore it (laughs) I know the feeling (laughs) trust me yeah I didn't want them and then um You know, eventually after I got tenured and, um, you know, people just kind of knew this is what I do, I started to be a little bit more courageous and said, okay, this is who I am. I'm not, I looked at the contract, I'm not breaching the contract. And so I think it's different if you're at a university uh, and even some colleges are just have different laws and rules. So as long as you are doing your job, uh, you know, your contractual obligations, and I go well above my contractual obligations. So I don't think anyone can say you can't do this. But. If anything, I'm bringing what I'm I create and in consulting into the college, yes. and, you know, producing really great co- training for their faculty and staff. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, I think I think there is a, a difference, and I also, you know, I, I think in the workplace the the topics are are different. In in the college, it's all higher education centric. Of course, there's overlap, but. Um, you know, I'm not talking about African American student success at Walgreens, you know, <laughs> right,
1: right, right, right,
0: uh, or yeah. inclusion in the classroom because the conversation around equity and education is really different, in, you know, in equity and marketing, right? Yeah. And so, conceptually, it's the same, but you have to know how to speak to that audience um, right. to make it relatable. So, that's right, yeah,
1: yep, that's right, and digestible and palpable so people can actually take it back and use it yep. And yep. beneficially oh. for them, yeah. Oh.
0: Yeah, I I will say one thing like the one great thing about I was thinking about this other day is because I'm a communication studies professor one of the things I've been teaching since 2003 has been public speaking you know Mm -hmm. so I understand how to how to perform I understand how to facilitate I understand Mm -hmm. how to put an engaging message out and I think that's really helped me in my business and really connecting with people Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's another overlap from you know my my teaching job to my consulting.
1: As we close out, Sandhu, I wanted to, to revisit sort of this, this question. Um, I read it as a critical question um, just based on your relationship to it. I know you and I have talked about this offline before. Um, so I wanted, to, I wanted to bring it here to the block. Um, you know, you do a lot of work unapologetically in anti-Blackness, right? And I mean, you are the ally of allies when it comes to, to this work. Um, And you talk about it really about the ways in which it manifests in in the South Asian communities and the Southeast Asian communities. Um, So much so that, you know, I, I in fact, remember being on the periphery of a a little riff, right? A little discussion between, you know, you and another woman who, you know, she was essentially arguing that you were somewhat, you know, if you will batting for the other team, Um, she was claiming some other stuff on there that we know (laughs) we'll leave for a different, different time. But, uh, my question to you is do you do you get the do you get that vibe uh sort of from others and find your find yourself receiving that type of feedback this idea that you should be spending more time focusing on issues that face south asian southeast asian indian in particular issues
0: yeah um i would say i i have and i would say just being a non not a black not a white person in uh spaces that are invested in at, you know disrupting racism in general, racial equality, racial justice. Uh, I definitely feel like I, I'm in the borderlands, right? I don't really have a place. Sure. Uh, I, I created my place because I believe that in a multiracial society, racial justice has to be a multiracial effort, right? Sure. So there's space for me, there's space for you, there's space for our white woman, there's space for Latinx, uh, indigenous, every racial group needs to be part of this. And so I have definitely gotten criticism, but with that, I always just, I keep that in mind. And Rinku Sen, who I don't know, she's like the original founder of uh, Race Forward, which was is an organization based out of New York. Um, she was kind of uh, somebody that I would look up to because she was South Asian. She's in her fifties now. And I heard her say that one time, a long time ago, and that that's just what's always in my mind. So when somebody critiques me I kind of always regurgitate that, like there's mm. space for all of us. But I would say from like, you're talking about an Instagram instance where I, I posted mm-hmm. something and got really, uh, this woman got really angry who was South Asian and was just like, what about me? What about us? What about our racism? Sure. And sure. I think that in order to be a real ally and in order to really uh, make a dent in racial equality, you can't just work for your own group. Okay. And I started that, you know, I I experienced and I haven't told you, just a quarter of my experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, But I went into this work thinking about myself, you know, studying whiteness and applying it to Indianness. And then I started realizing like, crap, I am so privileged. Indian people sit at a place of racial privilege and we have the privileges and the power we do because of black Americans. And so I have always had a personal and professional commitment to disrupting anti-blackness because I care about it and because I think it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And if we only work to, you know, better ourselves and uplift our own communities and we're going to all be working in silos and we're not going to make it it's not going to make sense in a in, in america right where you have so many different racial identity groups so definitely get some crap from indian people but then i always remind them like at, we have not experienced systemic discrimination mm-hmm. we have not been oppressed for 401 years in any way can, we cannot compare ourselves to african americans mm-hmm. i think everybody needs to fight for black lives black liberation Uh, Uplift and amplify the voices of Black people because when Black people have freedom and are free to do things like jog or sit and watch TV, then all of us will be free, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of my drive. And I get criticism from Black people. You know, Mm -hmm. I have definitely been taken out of a training by a Black woman that said, I can't believe, you know, you're doing this. If I did this, no one would come. And so there's this idea that, like, because I'm Asian or because I'm Indian, Uh, I'm getting credit and like the the black woman who did it wouldn't. Right. And that was early on in my career at my college. And now I've established myself. I'm sure I get critiques, (laughs) Um, but no one's pulling me out of a training, you know, telling me off saying, I don't know what racism is. Right. Um, Is,
1: is that, is this, this, this switch? Is that because you, you changed your approach? Uh, No, no, no.
0: no. No, I'm, I've always been this. I'm, I'm always Hmm. one way to everyone. I just think that, um, some people just don't, especially with females. There's a lot of cattiness, you know. There's a lot of okay. envy. There's a lot of, uh, you know, racial politics. And I get if, the, if this woman particularly who did this to me, she was, you know, in her 50s. I was probably early 30s. She had been at the college forever, and she's like, "Who is this new kid on the block?" You know, I've been trying to do this forever. Right. And so part of it probably was justify like, why am I why do I have the platform. Um, uh, but also, it's, it's interesting because I put out a call, like, for example, the African American cor- the course that I, I developed, Black and Brilliant, um, to create inclusive minded faculty members, I put out a call to all the Black employees at the college saying, hey, I want you to be included in this. I want it. I want your voices. I want your experiences. Obviously, I'm not Black. I'm including Black students. I literally got two responses. Um, and so I, I got a lot more than that, but I had to individually go to people and say, hey, can you be part of this? Right. Sure, so sure, sure. Sometimes, you know, there could be people of color, black people and different, you know, races, and they're not, they're not actually meeting, right? They're just sitting back. And then when people like that criticize, then I'm like, oh, I got a problem with that.
1: <laughs> but yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I can, you know, I can imagine, I can see it, sort of the criticism coming both ways. I can see the own community saying, you know, what about us? And maybe even the black community or any community you're advocating for saying, but you don't live this experience. So this is all theory to you, uh, uh, yeah. something like that. that but, but yeah, you st- go ahead. I was
0: gonna say, but, and that's, I, I'm not black, but I've experienced a lot of racism. I haven't sure. experienced systemic, right? But that's kind of what drew me, you know, initially was this this, experience and the world that I live through is a lens of race. You know, and that's why I care because I know racism scars, racism sucks. You know, I'm still scarred by some of the experiences that I had 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't live a black life and I'm very, I always say that I speak from a place of racial privilege. Like I own that, you know, but if people who have privilege aren't fighting for people who have less privilege, nothing's going to change.
1: That's right. That's right. That's right. And, and, at the end of the day, you know, black folks, you know we need allies, we need advocates. we need support. Um, you know, black communities, uh, sort of one of, if not the only community in American history whose revolutions have been met with FBI resistance. Yeah. Uh, and so we need support. And so um, there's definitely discussion there to be had, but, you know, um, your work on anti-blackness, I don't think, goes unnoticed one way or the other, right? The fact that you're doing the work is very clear. And so that is something to certainly be proud of. Um,
0: I want to say one thing, though, that I didn't say is that I don't think that I should be leading conversations about racial justice anti-Blackness. I think that Black people should be leading. I think everyone has a place. Uh, We need to step to the side and let Black people lead it. But we should still be part of it. So I wanted to make that clear.
1: Sindhu, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Before we let you go, Tell the people where they can get in touch with you. Do you have any oh. publications, your website, uh, hashtags, ads, anything you got? Yeah.
0: So you can follow me on uh, Shakti Diversity and Equity on Instagram. Um, I'm semi active on there and I create videos and stuff. I mean I, I don't have lots of time, but I do I'm somewhat active. And then my website is Shakti Training.com and I'm sure you'll link that in the the show notes or something. So
1: I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> of course I will. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. Send you Thomas you. George, Sharad Robbins here with the chopping block at visceralchange.org.